Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Tonight, the conclusion of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie, with chapters 26, 27, and the final chapter, chapter 28. And now, chapter 26, Mr. Brown. Sir James's words came like a bombshell. Both girls looked equally puzzled. The lawyer went across to his desk and returned with a small newspaper cutting, which he handed to Jane. Tuppence read it over his shoulder. Mr. Carter would have recognized it. It referred to the mysterious man found dead in New York. "'As I was saying to Miss Tuppence,' resumed the lawyer, "'I set to work to prove the impossible possible. The great stumbling block was the undeniable fact that Julius Hersheimer was not an assumed name. When I came across this paragraph, my problem was solved. Julius Hersheimer set out to discover what had become of his cousin.' He went out west, where he obtained news of her and her photograph to aid him in his search. On the eve of his departure from New York, he was set upon and murdered. His body was dressed in shabby clothes and the face disfigured to prevent identification. Mr. Brown took his place. He sailed immediately for England. None of the real Hersheimer's friends or intimates saw him before he sailed, though indeed it would hardly have mattered if they had. The impersonation was so perfect." Since then, he had been hand and glove with those sworn to hunt him down. Every secret of theirs has been known to him. Only once did he come near disaster. Mrs. Vandermeyer knew his secret. It was no part of his plan that that huge bribe should ever be offered to her. But for Miss Tuppence's fortunate change of plan, she would have been far away from the flat when we arrived there. Exposure stared him in the face. He took a desperate step, trusting in his assumed character to avert suspicion. He nearly succeeded, but not quite. "'I can't believe it,' murmured Jane. "'He seemed so splendid.' "'The real Julius Hersheimer was a splendid fellow, "'and Mr. Brown is a consummate actor, "'but ask Miss Tuppence if she also has not had her suspicions.' "'Jane turned mutely to Tuppence. "'The latter nodded. "'I didn't want to say it, Jane. "'I knew it would hurt you, and after all, "'I couldn't be sure. "'I still don't understand why, if he's Mr. Brown, he rescued us. "'Wasn't it Julius Hersheimer who helped you to escape?' "'Tuppence recounted to Sir James the exciting events of the evening, "'ending up, "'Yes, but I can't see why.' "'Can't you? I can. "'So can young Beresford by his actions. "'As a last hope, Jane Finn was to be allowed to escape, 
"'and the escape must be managed "'so that she harbors no suspicions "'of its being a put-up job. "'They're not averse to young Beresford's "'being in the neighborhood, "'and, if necessary, communicating with you. "'They'll take care to get him out of the way "'at the right minute. "'Then Julius Hersheimer dashes up "'and rescues you in true melodramatic style. "'Bullets fly, but don't hit anybody. "'What would have happened next?' "'You would have driven straight to the house in Soho "'and secured the document which Miss Finn "'would probably have entrusted to her cousin's keeping. "'Or if he conducted the search, "'he would have pretended to find the hiding place already rifled. "'He would have had a dozen ways of dealing with the situation, "'but the result would have been the same. "'And I rather fancy some accident would have happened to both of you. "'You see, you know rather an inconvenient amount. "'That is a rough outline. "'I admit I was caught napping, but somebody else wasn't. "'Tommy,' said Tuppence softly. "'Yes. Evidently when the right moment came to get rid of him, "'he was too sharp for them. "'All the same. I'm not too easy in my mind about him.' "'Why? Because Julius Hersheimer is Mr. Brown,' said Sir James dryly, "'and it takes more than one man and a revolver to hold up Mr. Brown.' "'Tuppence paled a little. What can we do?' "'Nothing until we've been to the house in Soho.' "'If Beresford still has the upper hand, there's nothing to fear. "'If it's otherwise, our enemy will come to find us, "'and he will not find us unprepared.' "'From a drawer in the desk he took a service revolver "'and placed it in his coat pocket. "'Now we're ready. "'I know better than even to suggest going without you, Miss Tuppence.' "'I should think so, indeed. "'But I do suggest that Miss Finn should remain here. "'She will be perfectly safe, "'and I'm afraid she is absolutely worn out with all she's been through.' "'But to Tuppence's surprise, Jane shook her head. "'No, I guess I'm going, too. "'Those papers were my trust. "'I must go through with this business to the end. "'I'm heaps better now, anyway.' "'Sir James's car was ordered round. "'During the short drive, Tuppence's heart beat tumultuously. "'In spite of momentary qualms of uneasiness respecting Tommy, "'she could not but feel exultation. "'They were going to win.' The car drew up at the corner of the square, and they got out. Sir James went up to a plainclothes man who was on duty with several others, and spoke to him. Then he rejoined the girls. "'No one has gone into the house so far. It is being watched at the back as well, so they are quite sure of that. Anyone who attempts to enter after we have done so will be arrested immediately. Shall we go in?' A policeman produced a key. They all knew Sir James well. They had also had orders respecting Tuppence. Only the third member of the party was unknown to them. The three entered the house, pulling the door to behind them. Slowly they mounted the rickety stairs. At the top was the ragged curtain hiding the recess where Tommy had hidden that day. Tuppence had heard the story from Jane in her character of Annette. She looked at the tattered velvet with interest. Even now she could almost swear it moved, as though someone was behind it. So strong was the illusion that she almost fancied she could make out the outline of a form— "'Supposing Mr. Brown, Julius, was there waiting?' "'Impossible, of course. "'Yet she almost went back to put the curtain aside and make sure. "'But now they were entering the prison room. "'No place for anyone to hide here,' thought Tuppence, with a sigh of relief, "'then chided herself indignantly. "'She must not give way to this foolish fancying, "'this curious, insistent feeling that Mr. Brown was in the house. "'Hark! What was that?' "'A stealthy footstep on the stairs? "'There was someone in the house. "'Absurd! "'She was becoming hysterical. "'Jane had gone straight to the picture of Marguerite. 
she unhooked it with a steady hand. The dust lay thick upon it, and festoons of cobwebs lay between it and the wall. Sir James handed her a pocket knife, and she ripped away the brown paper from the back. The advertisement page of a magazine fell out. Jane picked it up. Holding apart the frayed inner edges, she extracted two thin sheets covered with writing. No dummy this time. The real thing. We've got it, said Tuppence. At last. The moment was almost breathless in its emotion. Forgotten, the faint creakings, the imagined noises of a minute ago. None of them had eyes for anything but what Jane held in her hand. Sir James took it and scrutinized it attentively. Yes, he said quietly. This is the ill-fated draft treaty. We've succeeded, said Tuppence. There was awe and almost wondering unbelief in her voice. Sir James echoed her words as he folded the paper carefully and put it away in his pocketbook. Then he looked curiously round the dingy room. "'It was here that our young friend was confined for so long, was it not?' he said. "'A truly sinister room. You notice the absence of windows and the thickness of the close-fitting door. Whatever took place here would never be heard by the outside world.' Tuppence shivered. His words woke a vague alarm in her. "'What if there was someone concealed in the house? Someone who might bar that door on them and lead them to die like rats in a trap?' Then she realized the absurdity of her thought. The house was surrounded by police who, if they failed to reappear, would not hesitate to break in and make a thorough search. She smiled at her own foolishness, then looked up with a start to find Sir James watching her. He gave her an emphatic little nod. "'Quite right, Miss Tuppence. You scent danger. And so do I. And so does Miss Finn.' "'Yes,' admitted Jane. "'It's absurd. But I can't help it.' "'Sir James nodded again. "'You feel, as we all feel, "'the presence of Mr. Brown.' "'Yes,' as Tuppence made a movement. "'Not a doubt of it. "'Mr. Brown is here.' "'In this house?' "'In this room. "'You don't understand?' "'I am Mr. Brown.' "'Stupefied, unbelieving, they stared at him. "'The very lines of his face had changed.' It was a different man who stood before them. He smiled a slow, cruel smile. Neither of you will leave this room alive. You said just now we had succeeded? I have succeeded. The draft treaty is mine. His smile grew wider as he looked at Tuppets. Shall I tell you how it will be? Sooner or later the police will break in, and they will find three victims of Mr. Brown. Three, not two, you understand. But fortunately the third will not be dead, only wounded. "'and will be able to describe the attack with a wealth of detail. "'The treaty? It is in the hands of Mr. Brown, "'so no one will think of searching the pockets of Sir James Peel Edgerton.' "'He turned to Jane. "'You outwitted me. I make my acknowledgments. "'But you will not do it again.' "'There was a faint sound behind him, "'but, intoxicated with success, he did not turn his head. "'He slipped his hand into his pocket.' "'Checkmate to the young adventurers,' he said, and slowly raised the big automatic. But even as he did so, he felt himself seized from behind in a grip of iron. The revolver was wrenched from his hand, and the voice of Julius Hersheimer said drawlingly, "'Well, I guess you're caught red-handed with the goods upon you.' The blood rushed to the K.C.'s face, but his self-control was marvelous as he looked from one to the other of his two captors. He looked longest at Tommy.'
"'You! You!' he said beneath his breath. "'You! I might have known.' Seeing that he was disposed to offer no resistance, their grip slackened. Quick as a flash, his left hand, the hand which bore the big signet ring, was raised to his lips. "'Ave, César! Te morituri salutant!' he said, still looking at Tommy. Then his face changed, and with a long convulsive shudder he fell forward in a crumpled heap, whilst an odor of bitter almonds filled the air. We'll return with Chapter 27, right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now, Chapter 27, The Supper Party at the Savoy. The supper party given by Mr. Julius Hersheimer to a few friends on the evening of the 30th will long be remembered in catering circles. It took place in a private room, and Mr. Hersheimer's orders were brief and forcible. He gave carte blanche, and when a millionaire gives carte blanche, he usually gets it. Every delicacy out of season was duly provided. Waiters carried bottles of ancient and royal vintage with loving care. The floral decorations defied the seasons, and fruits of the earth as far apart as May and November found themselves miraculously side by side. The list of guests was small and select. The American ambassador, Mr. Carter, who had taken the liberty, he said, of bringing an old friend, Sir William Beresford, with him. Archdeacon Cowley, Dr. Hall, those two youthful adventurers, Miss Prudence Cowley and Mr. Thomas Beresford, and last but not least, as guest of honor, Miss Jane Finn. Julius had spared no pains to make Jane's appearance a success. A mysterious knock had brought Tuppets to the door of the apartment she was sharing with the American girl. It was Julius. In his hand, he held a check. "'Say, Tuppence,' he began, "'will you do me a good turn? Take this, and get Jane regularly togged up for this evening.' "'You're all coming to supper with me at the Savoy, see? "'Spare no expense. "'You get me?' "'Sure thing,' mimicked Tuppence. "'We shall enjoy ourselves. "'It will be a pleasure dressing Jane. "'She's the loveliest thing I've ever seen.' "'That's so,' agreed Mr. Hersheimer fervently. "'His fervor brought a momentary twinkle to Tuppence's eye. "'By the way, Julius,' she remarked demurely, "'I... I haven't given you my answer yet.' "'Answer?' said Julius, his face paled. "'You know, when you asked me to marry you,' faltered Tuppence, her eyes downcast in the true manner of the early Victorian heroine, "'and wouldn't take no for an answer. "'I've thought it well over, and—' "'Yes?' said Julius. The perspiration stood out on his forehead. Tuppence relented suddenly. "'You great idiot!' she said. "'What on earth induced you to do it? 
"'I could see at the time you didn't care a two-penny dip for me.' Uh, "'Not at all. I had, and still have, "'the highest sentiments of esteem and respect, and admiration for you.' "'Hm!' said Tuppence. "'Those are the kind of sentiments that very soon go to the wall "'when the other sentiment comes along. "'Don't they, old thing?' "'I don't know what you mean,' said Julie stiffly, "'but a large and burning blush overspread his countenance. "'Shucks!' retorted Tuppence. "'She laughed and closed the door, "'reopening it to add with dignity, "'Morally, I shall always consider I've been jilted.' "'What was it?' asked Jane, as Tuppence rejoined her. "'Julius. What did he want?' "'Really, I think, he wanted to see you, "'but I wasn't going to let him. "'Not until tonight, when you're going to burst upon everyone "'like King Solomon in his glory. "'Come on, we're going to shop.' "'To most people the twenty-ninth, "'the much-heralded Labor Day, "'had passed much as any other day. "'Speeches were made in the park and Trafalgar Square. "'Straggling processions, singing the red flag, "'wandered through the streets in a more or less aimless manner.' Newspapers which had hinted at a general strike and the inauguration of a reign of terror were forced to hide their diminished heads. The bolder and more astute among them sought to prove that peace had been effected by following their counsels. In the Sunday papers, a brief notice of the sudden death of Sir James Peel Edgerton, the famous K.C., had appeared. Monday's paper dealt appreciatively with the dead man's career. The exact manner of his sudden death was never made public. Tommy had been right in his forecast of the situation. It had been a one-man show. Deprived of their chief, the organization fell to pieces. Kraminin had made a precipitate return to Russia, leaving England early on Sunday morning. The gang had fled from Astley Priors in a panic, leaving behind, in their haste, various damaging documents which compromised them hopelessly. With these proofs of conspiracy in their hands... "'aided further by a small brown diary "'taken from the pocket of the dead man "'which had contained a full and damning resume "'of the whole plot. "'The government had called an eleventh-hour conference. "'The labor leaders were forced to recognize "'that they had been used as a cat's paw. "'Certain concessions were made by the government "'and were eagerly accepted. "'It was to be peace, not war. "'But the cabinet knew by now "'how narrow a margin they had escaped utter disaster.' and burnt in on Mr. Carter's brain was the strange scene which had taken place in the house in Soho the night before. He had entered the squalid room to find that great man, the friend of a lifetime, dead, betrayed out of his own mouth. From the dead man's pocketbook he had retrieved the ill-omened draft treaty, and then and there, in the presence of the other three, it had been reduced to ashes. England was saved. And now, on the evening of the 30th, in a private room at the Savoy, Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer was receiving his guests. Mr. Carter was the first to arrive. With him was a choleric-looking old gentleman, at sight of whom Tommy flushed up to the roots of his hair. He came forward. "'Ha!' said the old gentleman, surveying him apoplectically. "'So you're my nephew, are you? Not much to look at. But you've done good work, it seems. Your mother must have brought you up well after all. Shall we let bygones be bygones, eh? You're my heir, you know.' "'and in future I suppose to make you an allowance, "'and you can look upon Chalmers Park as your home. "'Well, thank you, sir. It's awfully decent of you. "'Where's this young lady I've been hearing such a lot about?' "'Tommy introduced Tuppets. "'Aha!' said Sir William, eyeing her. "'Girls aren't what they used to be in my young days.' "'Yes, they are,' said Tuppets. "'Their clothes are different, perhaps, "'but they themselves are just the same. "'Well, perhaps you're right. "'Minxes, then. "'Minxes now.' 
"'That's it,' said Tuppets. "'I'm a frightful minx myself.' "'I believe you,' said the old gentleman, chuckling, "'and pinched her ear in high good humour. "'Most young women were terrified of the old bear, as they termed him. "'Tuppets's pertness delighted the old misogynist. "'Then came the timid archdeacon, "'a little bewildered by the company in which he found himself, "'glad that his daughter was considered to have distinguished herself, "'but unable to help glancing at her from time to time with nervous apprehension.' "'but Tuppence behaved admirably. "'She forbore to cross her legs, "'set a guard upon her tongue, "'and steadfastly refused to smoke. "'Dr. Hall came next, "'and he was followed by the American ambassador. "'We might as well sit down,' said Julius, "'when he had introduced all his guests to each other. "'Tuppence, will you?' "'He indicated the place of honor with the wave of his hand. "'But Tuppence shook her head. "'No, that's Jane's place. "'When one thinks of how she's held out all these years,' "'She ought to be made the queen of the feast tonight. "'Julius flung her a grateful glance, "'and Jane came forward shyly to the allotted seat. "'Beautiful as she had seemed before, "'it was as nothing to the loveliness "'that now went fully adorned. "'Tuppets had performed her part faithfully. "'The model gown supplied by a famous dressmaker "'had been entitled a tiger lily. "'It was all golds and reds and browns, "'and out of it rose the pure column "'of the girl's white throat "'and the bronze masses of hair "'that crowned her lovely head.' There was admiration in every eye as she took her seat. Soon the supper party was in full swing, and with one accord Tommy was called upon for a full and complete explanation. "'You've been too darn tight about this whole business,' Julius accused him. "'You let on to me that you were off to the Argentine, though I guess you had your reasons for that. The idea of both you and Tuppence casting me for the part of Mr. Brown just tickles me to death.' Uh, "'The idea was not original to them,' "'said Mr. Carter gravely. "'It was suggested, and the poison very carefully instilled, "'by a past master in the art. "'The paragraph in the New York paper suggested the plan to him, "'and by means of it he wove a web that nearly enmeshed you fatally. "'I never liked him,' said Julius. "'I felt from the first that there was something wrong about him, "'and I always suspected that it was he who silenced Mrs. Vandemeyer so appositely. "'But it wasn't until I heard that the order for Tommy's execution "'came right on the heels of our interview with him,' "'that Sunday I began to tumble to the fact "'that he was the big bug himself.' "'I never suspected it at all,' lamented Tuppence. "'I've always thought I was so much cleverer than Tommy, "'but he's undoubtedly scored over me handsomely.' "'Julius agreed. "'Tommy's been the goods this trip, "'and instead of sitting there as dumb as a fish, "'let him banish his blushes and tell us all about it. "'Here, here! "'Oh, there's nothing to tell,' said Tommy, "'acutely uncomfortable. "'I was an awful mug,' "'right up to the time I found that photograph of Annette "'and realized that she was Jane Finn. "'Then I remembered how persistently "'she had shouted out that word, Marguerite, "'and I thought of the pictures, "'and, well, that's that. "'Then, of course, I went over the whole thing "'to see where I'd made an ass of myself. "'Go on,' said Mr. Carter, "'as Tommy showed signs of taking refuge "'in silence once more. "'That business about Mrs. Vandemeyer "'had worried me when Julius told me about it. "'On the face of it, "'It seemed that he or Sir James must have done it. "'But I didn't know which. "'Finding that photograph in the drawer, "'after that story of how it had been got from him by Inspector Brown, "'made me suspect Julius. "'Then I remembered that it was Sir James "'who had discovered the false Jane Finn. "'In the end, I couldn't make up my mind, "'and just decided to take no chances either way. "'I left a note for Julius, in case he was Mr. Brown, "'saying I was off to the Argentine, "'and I dropped Sir James's letter "'with the offer of the job by the desk so that he would see it was a genuine stunt. 
"'Then I wrote my letter to Mr. Carter and rang up Sir James. "'Taking him into my confidence would be the best thing either way, "'so I told him everything except where I believed the papers to be hidden. "'The way he helped me to get on the track of Tuppence and Annette "'almost disarmed me, but not quite. "'I kept my mind open between the two of them, "'and then I got a bogus note from Tuppence, and I knew. "'But how?' Tommy took the note in question from his pocket and passed it round the table. It's her handwriting, all right, but I knew it wasn't from her because of the signature. She'd never spell her name twopence, but anyone who'd never seen it written might quite easily do so. Julius had seen it. He showed me a note of hers to him once, but Sir James hadn't. After that, everything was plain sailing. I sent off Albert post-haste to Mr. Carter. I pretended to go away, but doubled back again. When Julius came bursting up in his car, I felt it wasn't part of Mr. Brown's plan, and that there would probably be trouble. Unless Sir James was actually caught in the act, so to speak, I knew Mr. Carter would never believe it of him on my bare word. I didn't, interposed Mr. Carter ruefully, and that's why I sent the girls off to Sir James. I was sure they'd fetch up at the house in Soho sooner or later. I threatened Julius with the revolver because I wanted Tuppence to repeat that to Sir James so that he wouldn't worry about us. The moment the girls were out of sight, I told Julius to drive like hell for London, and as we went along, I told him the whole story. We got to the Soho house in plenty of time and met Mr. Carter outside. After arranging things with him, we went in and hid behind the curtain in the recess. The policemen had orders to say, if they were asked, that no one had gone into the house. That's all and Tommy came to an abrupt halt. There was silence for a moment. "'By the way,' said Julius suddenly, "'you're all wrong about that photograph of Jane. "'It was taken from me, but I found it again.' "'Where?' cried Tuppence. "'In that little safe on the wall in Mrs. Vandermeyer's bedroom.' "'I knew you found something,' said Tuppence reproachfully. "'To tell you the truth, that's what started me off on suspecting you. "'Why didn't you say?' "'I guess I was a mite suspicious, too. "'It had been got away from me once, "'and I determined I wouldn't let on I'd got it "'until a photographer had made a dozen copies of it.' "'We all kept back something or other,' said Tuppence thoughtfully. "'I suppose Secret Service work makes you like that.' "'In the pause that ensued, "'Mr. Carter took from his pocket a small shabby brown book. "'Beresford has just said that I would not have believed "'Sir James Peel Edgerton to be guilty unless, so to speak, "'he was caught in the act.' "'That is so. Indeed, not until I read the entries in this little book could I bring myself fully to credit the amazing truth. This book will pass into the possession of Scotland Yard, but it will never be publicly exhibited. Sir James's long association with the law would make it undesirable. But to you, who know the truth, I propose to read certain passages which will throw some light on the extraordinary mentality of this great man.' He opened the book and turned the thin pages, reading— "'It is madness to keep this book. I know that. "'It is documentary evidence against me. "'But I've never shrunk from taking risks, "'and I feel an urgent need for self-expression. "'The book will only be taken from my dead body. "'From an early age I realized that I had exceptional abilities. "'Only a fool underestimates his capabilities. "'My brain power was greatly above the average. "'I knew that I was born to succeed. "'My appearance was the only thing against me. "'I was quiet and insignificant.' "'utterly nondescript. "'When I was a boy, I heard a famous murder trial. "'I was deeply impressed by the power and eloquence "'of the counsel for the defense. 
For the first time, I entertained the idea of taking my talents to that particular market. Then I studied the criminal in the dock. The man was a fool. He had been incredibly, unbelievably stupid. Even the eloquence of his counsel was hardly likely to save him. I felt an immeasurable contempt for him. Then it occurred to me that the criminal standard was a low one. It was the wastrels, the failures, the general riffraff of civilization who drifted into crime. Strange that men of brains had never realized its extraordinary opportunities. I played with the idea. What a magnificent field. What unlimited possibilities. It made my brain real. I read standard works on crime and criminals. They all confirmed my opinion. Degeneracy, disease, never the deliberate embracing of a career by a far-seeing man. Then I considered. Supposing my utmost ambitions were realized, that I was called to the bar and rose to the height of my profession, that I entered politics, say, even that I became Prime Minister of England. What then? Was that power? Hampered at every turn by my colleagues, fettered by the democratic system of which I should be the mere figurehead. No, the power I dreamed of was absolute. An autocrat, a dictator. And such power could only be obtained by working outside the law. To play on the weaknesses of human nature, then on the weaknesses of nations, to get together and control a vast organization, and finally to overthrow the existing order and rule. The thought alone intoxicated me. I saw that I must lead two lives. A man like myself is bound to attract notice. I must have a successful career which would mask my true activities. Also, I must cultivate a personality. I modeled myself upon famous KCs. I reproduced their mannerisms, their magnetism. If I had chosen to be an actor, I should have been the greatest actor living. No disguises, no grease paint, no false beards. Personality. I put it on like a glove. When I shed it, I was myself, quiet, unobtrusive, a man like every other man. I called myself Mr. Brown. There are hundreds of men called Brown. There are hundreds of men looking just like me. I succeeded in my false career. I was bound to succeed. I shall succeed in the other. A man like me cannot fail. I've been reading the life of Napoleon. He and I have much in common. I make a practice of defending criminals. A man should look after his own people. Once or twice I felt afraid. The first time was in Italy. There was a dinner given. Professor D., the great alienist, was present. The talk fell on insanity. He said, A great many men are mad, and no one knows it. They do not know it themselves. I do not understand why he looked at me when he said that. His glance was strange. I didn't like it. The war has disturbed me. I thought it would further my plans. The Germans are so efficient. Their spy system, too, was excellent. The streets are full of these boys in khaki. All empty-headed young fools. Yet I do not know. They won the war. It disturbs me. My plans are going well. A girl butted in. I do not think she really knew anything. But we must give up the Estonia. No risks now. All goes well. The loss of memory is vexing. It cannot be a fake. No girl could deceive me. The twenty-ninth. That is very soon. Mr. Carter paused. I will not read the details of the coup that was planned, but there are just two small entries that refer to the three of you. In the light of what happened, they are interesting. By inducing the girl to come to me, of her own accord, 
"'I've succeeded in disarming her. "'But she has intuitive flashes that might be dangerous. "'She must be got out of the way. "'I can do nothing with the American. "'He suspects and dislikes me. "'But he cannot know. "'I fancy my armor is impregnable. "'Sometimes I fear I have underestimated the other boy. "'He's not clever. "'But it is hard to blind his eyes to facts.' "'Mr. Carter stopped reading and shut the book. "'A great man,' he said. "'Genius or insanity?' "'Who can say?' "'There was silence. "'Then Mr. Carter rose to his feet. "'I offer you a toast, "'the joint venture which has so amply justified itself by success.' "'The toast was drunk with acclamation. "'There's something more we want to hear,' "'continued Mr. Carter. "'He looked at the American ambassador. "'I speak for you also, I know. "'We'll ask Miss Jane Finn to tell us the story "'that only Miss Tuppence has heard so far. "'But before we do so, we'll drink to her health.' the health of one of the bravest of America's daughters, to whom is due the thanks and gratitude of two countries. We'll return with the final chapter, chapter 28, right after these sponsor messages. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at And now, chapter 28, and after. "'That was a mighty good toast, Jane,' said Mr. Hersheimer, as he and his cousin were being driven back in the Rolls-Royce to the Ritz. "'The one to the joint venture?' "'No, no, the one to you. There isn't another girl in the world who could have carried it through as you did. You were wonderful.' Jane shook her head. "'I don't feel wonderful. At heart I'm just tired and lonesome, and longing for my own country.' "'which brings me to something I wanted to say. "'I heard the ambassador telling you his wife "'hoped you would come to them at the embassy right away. "'That's good enough, but I've got another plan for you, Jane. "'I want you to marry me. "'Don't get scared and say no at once. "'You can't love me right away, of course. "'That's impossible. "'But I've loved you from the very moment I set eyes on your photo, "'and now that I've seen you, I'm simply crazy about you. "'If you'll only marry me, I won't worry you any. "'You shall take your own time.' Maybe you'll never come to love me, and if that's the case, I'll manage to set you free. But I want the right to look after you and take care of you. That's what I want, said the girl wistfully. Someone who'll be good to me. Oh, you don't know how lonesome I feel. Sure thing I do. Then I guess that's all fixed up, and I'll see the Archbishop about a special license tomorrow morning. Oh, Julius! Well, I don't want to hustle you any, Jane, but there's no sense in waiting about. "'Don't be scared. I shan't expect you to love me all at once.' But a small hand was slipped into his. "'I love you now, Julius,' said Jane Finn. "'I loved you that first moment in the car when the bullet grazed your cheek.' Five minutes later, Jane murmured softly, "'I don't know London very well, Julius, but is it such a very long way from the Savoy to the Ritz?' "'It depends on how you go,' explained Julius, unblushingly. "'We're going by way of Regent's Park.' "'Oh, Julius, what would the chauffeur think?' "'At the wages I pay him, he knows better than to do any independent thinking. "'Why, Jane, the only reason I had the supper at the Savoy "'was so that I could drive you home. 
"'I didn't see how I was ever going to get hold of you alone. "'You and Tuppence have been sticking together like Siamese twins. "'I guess another day of it would have driven me and Beresford stark staring mad. "'Oh, is he? "'Of course he is. Head over ears.' "'I thought so,' said Jane thoughtfully. "'Why? From all the things Tuppence didn't say.' "'There you have me beat,' said Mr. Hersheimer. "'But Jane only laughed. "'In the meantime, the young adventurers were sitting bolt upright, "'very stiff and ill at ease, in a taxi which, "'with a singular lack of originality, "'was also returning to the Ritz via Regent's Park. "'A terrible constraint seemed to have settled down between them. "'Without quite knowing what had happened,' Everything seemed changed. They were tongue-tied, paralyzed. All the old camaraderie was gone. Tuppence could think of nothing to say. Tommy was equally afflicted. They sat very straight and forbore to look at each other. At last Tuppence made a desperate effort. Rather fun, wasn't it? Yes, rather. Another silence. I like Julius, essayed Tuppence again. "'Tommy was suddenly galvanized into life. "'You're not going to marry him, do you hear?' "'He said dictatorially. "'I forbid it.' "'Oh,' said Tuppence meekly. "'Absolutely, you understand.' "'He doesn't want to marry me. "'He's really only asked me out of kindness.' "'That's not very likely,' scoffed Tommy. "'Oh, that's quite true. "'He's head over ears in love with Jane. "'I expect he's proposing to her right now.' "'She'll do for him very nicely,' said Tommy, condescendingly. "'Don't you think she's the most lovely creature you've ever seen?' "'Oh, I dare say. "'But I suppose you prefer Sterling Worth,' said Tuppence demurely. "'I—oh, dash it all, Tuppence! You know!' "'I like your uncle, Tommy,' said Tuppence, hastily creating a diversion. "'By the way, what are you going to do, except Mr. Carter's offer of a government job?' "'or accept Julius's invitation "'and take a richly remunerated post in America on his ranch. "'I think I'll stick to the old ship, "'although it's awfully good of Hersheimer, "'but I feel you'd be more at home in London.' "'I don't see where I come in.' "'I do,' said Tommy positively. "'Tuppence stole a glance at him sideways. Mm, "'There's the money, too,' she observed thoughtfully. "'What money?' "'We're going to get a check each.' "'Mr. Carter told me so.' "'Did you ask how much?' inquired Tommy, sarcastically. "'Yes,' said Tuppence triumphantly. "'But I shan't tell you.' "'Tuppence, you're the limit.' "'It has been fun, hasn't it, Tommy? "'I do hope we shall have lots more adventures.' "'You're insatiable, Tuppence. "'I've had quite enough adventures for the present, thank you.' "'Well, shopping is almost as good,' said Tuppence dreamily. "'Think of buying old furniture and bright carpets "'and futurist silk curtains "'and a polished dining table "'and a divan with lots of cushions.' "'Hold hard,' said Tommy. "'What's all this for?' Mm, "'Possibly a house, but I think a flat.' "'Whose flat?' "'You think I mind saying it, but I don't in the least. "'Ours! So there!' "'You darling!' cried Tommy, "'his arms tightly around her. "'I was determined to make you say it. "'I owe you something for the relentless way you've squashed me "'whenever I've tried to be sentimental.' "'Tuppence raised her face to his. "'The taxi proceeded on its course "'round the north side of Regent's Park. "'You haven't really proposed now,' pointed out Tuppence. "'Not what our grandmothers would call a proposal. "'But after listening to a rotten one like Julius's, 
I'm inclined to let you off. You won't be able to get out of marrying me, so don't even think about it. What fun it will be, responded Tuppence. Marriage is called all sorts of things, a haven and a refuge and a crowning glory and a state of bondage and lots more. But you know what I think it is? What? A sport. And a damn good sport, too, said Tommy. Thus ends The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. I hope you all enjoyed it. There'll be more Agatha Christie stories in the future. Next Sunday, stay tuned right here for Action and Adventure at 1001 Stories for the Road and a brand new adventure. Until then, everyone, this is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. Reviews are appreciated. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon. (laughs) 